All right, let's pray before we get into the word. Our Father and our Lord, you are the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. And Lord, we can do nothing apart from you. We thank you, Lord, that tonight we get to gather in your house. We get to hear from your word. Um, and we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would be my mouth. You would guard my mouth from error. And that it will be your word that will go forth, not by might, but by your spirit. And Lord, I pray that uh, your word would land on fertile ground, uh, that it will bear forth much fruit, that we would prove to be your disciples. And Lord, as we look at a passage of scripture with King Jehoshaphat, that we can glean from the bottom line in our life is, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. That no matter what happens, no matter what it looks like, we should not look on the things that are seen because they're temporal, but we should look on the things that are unseen because they're eternal. And Lord, I pray that we would all walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, we know that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word, for it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Be with all those in our church that are sick and suffering, Lord, that we may not know about. Uh, be with Tim and Charmaine and uh, Donna's son, Scott, and uh, all those families that haven't returned to us. Lord, we love them. We miss them, Lord. And so we don't know what everyone's going through, Lord, but we, we commit them to you, Lord. Uh, we know that you're all-knowing, you're all-powerful, and we can always look to your unchanging character. And so, Lord, be with us tonight. Have your way. Be with Pastor Dave, Lord. Um, we just exalt your name, Lord. There's only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. And the saints said, amen, amen. All right. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I title the message, this is how I fight my battles. Our eyes are on you. How many of you guys know we're in a spiritual battle every single day, right? If you didn't know, now you know. All right, so we're in a spiritual battle. So a lot, of, a lot of what we see in the Old Testament as the kings, as they go through battles and they do physical wars, they're really a physical picture of a New Testament reality. Is you don't see in the New Testament them fighting wars or anything like that. What you see is constant spiritual battles left and right. We know the scripture tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Although we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. Uh, we're, our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God and the pulling down of strongholds. And so as we look through this, we're going to see uh, gleaning how we can glean from King Jehoshaphat on how he dealt with an impossible situation. So a quick background on second, um, First and Second Chronicles. Um, it's a historical book about the reign of King David and King Solomon and its successors and about the temple. And it was written primarily to the exiles who had returned from the land uh, from Babylon to show them that the Lord is still with them, even though they had a period of rebellion. We know that God is gracious, but also God is just. And so First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings both correlate with First and Second Chronicles. Many parallel stories, except Chronicles completely omits the history of the 10 northern tribes of Israel, focusing on the tribe of Judah, the southern tribe. And so today we're going to focus on uh, King Jehoshaphat in this passage. So looking at a few passages, you guys don't have to turn there, but just for those who take notes about the character of King Jehoshaphat, because character is important. First Kings 22, 43 tells us that he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not turn aside from them. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Second Chronicles 17, three tells us the Lord was with him because he walked in the former ways of his father David and in the commandments of the Lord. Second Chronicles 17, six says his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord and he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah, which remember King Solomon has set those up and just set a very ungodly habit in ancient Israel, which caused much havoc throughout their, 
their history. Second Chronicles 17.7 says, he sent leaders and Levites to teach the book of the law throughout all the cities of Judah. All throughout ancient history, we see when there was revival, the, the, law, the word of God came back. When there was huge turmoil, the word of God was missing. What's, what's the centrality? The word of God is important. The word of God is foundational, right? The Bible says that God has magnified his word above all his name. Joshua 1.8, for your note here, says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success. Success only comes from obedience to the word of God and in his eyes and not in the eyes of men. Second Chronicles 19.3 says, good things were found in you, Jehoshaphat, and you have prepared your heart to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat had a time where he compromised and he made an ally with an evil king called Ahab. Yet when he was called out by the seer, he repented and he set up godly reforms and responded because his heart was set to seek the Lord. Some of his reforms, he sent priests into all the cities to teach the book of the law to the people. He set judges in the land and commanded them to judge for the Lord, to fear the Lord, not show partiality or take bribes to pervert justice. He banished all the perverted persons in the land that remained from the days of his father, Asa. He banished them from the land. So we're going to see in this text, and we're going to get into it shortly, that it's a narrative of Jehoshaphat, and he had just finished instituting these godly forms from him repenting from his compromise. As you guys know, I've said it before, behind every compromise is a volcano of chaos waiting to erupt. And when it erupts, it will not spare. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Saints, we cannot compromise, Right? Compromise is distrusting the promises of God. Compromise is doing things and leaning on our own understanding. It's always going to breed chaos. There's no way around it. It's just easier and better to just obey the Lord. So he had set these reforms, and this was after the compromise, and he repented, and he was rebuked by the seer. Immediately after these reforms, his faith was tested. You guys have heard it before. An untested faith is an unreliable faith, or a faith not tested is a faith not trusted. And Jehoshaphat's response was one that all of us can learn from. He seeks the Lord's face for help, unites the people of Judah to call upon the word, character, and promises of the Lord, and then he humbles himself by prayer, worship, and praise. Let's go on to point one. This is how I fight my battles. My eyes are on you. Set yourself to seek the Lord. Verses one and two. It happened after this, that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonite came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some, of the, some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in En-Gedi. Now, when he says after this, like I said before, this is immediately after Jehoshaphat had instituted these godly reforms. He was obeying the Lord. Typically, after we obey the Lord, we expect blessings, right? Old Testament, you, you know, they had the, the mountains where he said, hey, if you disobey God, there's cursings. If you obey God, there's blessings. But we have to remember that it's not all, it, obedience does result in blessings, but not always in that order. Sometimes it's obedience, testings, then blessings, right? Because we have to be tested. 
What comes to mind for me is that when the Lord Jesus Christ, after he was baptized, a voice, voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it said immediately the spirit led him into the wilderness to be what? Tested, right? And then after that, he came forth and preached the gospel, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? So it's not always obedience blessings. Sometimes obedience testings, then blessings. And so you can imagine what King Jehoshaphat might've been thinking is that I just obeyed your word. I, was, I, I repented, right? I changed, I changed my direction and I went back and I set up these godly reforms from the fear of God. I did that. And now this is happening. All these people naming Moab, Ammon, and those who dwelt in Mount Seir, verse says, if you guys remember the Moabites and the Ammonites, you guys remember where they're from? Come on, Bible scholars, Moab, Ammon, Lot, Okay, you guys remember Lot, he pitched his tent to Sodom. He wanted to go to Sodom, okay? Spent there, it was a very wicked, wicked place. By God's grace, he delivered them out of there. And then they went to, they had their own little space where they were. And then his two daughters were like, hey, we don't have anybody to uh, continue our bloodline. Let us uh, get a little bit of wine, a little, you know, sipping saint, don't do that. And then go on there and lay with their dad. Well, see what happened was because they were in an ungodly environment, and they're hanging around with ungodly fellowship, they learned the ways of Sodom. And although God delivered them out of Sodom, Sodom wasn't delivered out of them. And so that's why we have to be careful on where we hang around and who we hang around with, because it's only a matter of time for who you hang around with and where you hang around will begin to hang on you, all right? Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So they came from that wicked line and they were surrounding the surrounding areas of, of ancient Israel, and they were coming up against Jehoshaphat and Judah. And when he says they came to battle, that means to make war. This wasn't to be friends. They weren't coming to hang out. They weren't coming to break bread, right? They were coming to make war, all right? It means to fight, engage in battle. Why? Verse 11, the same chapter tells us they came to throw Judah out of the land. We want the land. We need you out. They came to throw Judah out of the land that had been given to Judah as an inheritance. Saints, this is exactly what the enemy comes to do, to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy does not want you to enjoy the promises of God. The enemy does not want you to be in fellowship with God. And the enemy doesn't even care if you don't obey God completely. He just wants you to compromise. Because if he compromised, that little bit that you compromise, he gets and he throws you off track. And for him, that's a victory, right? So we need to be careful. Now, Paul says in Romans 15 that the things written beforehand are for our learning. So we get to learn from this example. Here it is, the people surrounding the lands. And yet for us, people are not the enemy. You say, what? Yeah, people are not the enemy. The Bible says love your enemies, love people, right? But people are the ministry. And so every time we think that we're really battling against somebody, we're really not. These are, we're, we have a spiritual war that we're going against. When we do marriage counseling, often this is what we get. Her fault, no, her, his fault, her fault, your fault, right? Because what the enemy has, he's, he seduced them to think that the, the battle's between each other. You're the problem. No, you're the problem. No, 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 you're both the problem, right? Because you have two people walking in the flesh and not walking in the spirit. Because the enemy has deceived you, because he's a great deceiver, to think that your battle's with each other when really your battle's in high places. Ephesians 6 and 2, for you note takers, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Thus, we therefore have our adversary, the devil, our flesh and the world who are constantly plotting to come against us and prevent us from partaking and enjoying the promises of God, just like we see here, this great multitude. So we see in the text, it says a great multitude is then reported to King Jehoshaphat that a great number of warriors are coming against him. As a king, imagine how he must have felt, like I said earlier. He's drawing near to the Lord. He's pursuing righteousness. And then you get this news. One might ask, I'm seeking your face. I'm living a life pleasing to you. And now this, all of us have had moments like that. It's important that we look and seek the character of God. Or our flesh may respond in a manner we must remind ourselves that God is always in control. That anything that happens has to pass through the Lord's hands. However, some of us, many of us want A plus blessings for D minus obedience, right? Let's be real. Radical transformation comes from radical obedience. A lot of us like to tread the water a little bit. We like to tiptoe, right, on the, on the obedience of God. But then we get mad when, you know, there's no blessings coming. Lord, I, th- I thought the formula was obeying blessings, right? And I get, no, it doesn't always work like that, right? Obedience results in blessings, but always not in that order, like I said earlier. I've said this example before, years ago when I was working in a job at a school, and I started reading the Bibles in my late 20s, and I had kids coming up, I would read the Bible publicly. I was sitting in, it was in a non-public school and I would just read the scriptures and I was kind of like a hall monitor. And so I had a lot of dead time. So I would just read through the scriptures and eventually kids would come up and say, what are you reading? I thought you would never ask, right? And I, we'd go through the scriptures and eventually kids started bringing their Bibles to school. We had a revival up in there, right? The word of God came back. And eventually one of the kids brought their Bibles and the director was like, hey, we, you know, you can't, that's against the law. You know, you can't do that. What are you doing? And I'll be honest, I didn't want to say anything because I was like, you know, I was a little, I was a little hesitant. There were some other self-proclaimed Christians. I let them say something, right? None of them said nothing. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, I guess it's on me now. So I stood up and I said, hey, man, you can bring your Bible anytime, right? That's your relationship with the Lord. And I just remember everyone looking at me like, are you crazy? Do you care about your job? Like, do you care about your family? What is wrong with you, right? But at that time, I didn't even think about that. I just thought about not forsaking the Lord in front of people. And sure enough, that at the end of that day, we met. She's like, yeah, we don't need you anymore, you know? And of course, at that time, I'm like, well, I'm obeying. I'm being faithful. I wasn't ashamed of the gospel. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't shrink back. I was faithful, right? And it ended up being that it was a test. The Lord, the Lord was testing me. And so I was faithful. I got let go. And before, I think I worked the rest of the summer. And before I was even done with that, the Lord had blessed me with a job that I've been at now almost seven years um, that compensated me more than the two jobs I was working. And God was glorified, right? So again, obedience, testing, then blessings, it's not always right away after that. An untested faith, faith is an unreliable faith. See, saints, this is why Job was able to say, though you slay me, yet will I trust you, right? This is why Job was able to tell his wife, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Shall we take God in the good, but not in times of adversity? And then later on, Job would say, I know my redeemer lives. This is why the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were able to say, no, I'm not going to bow right? He says, even if our Lord does not deliver us, we're not going to bow. It doesn't matter. Because again, they were looking to the Lord. Lastly, this is why the, the Hebrew midwives in Exodus continue to have babies after they were threatened that the babies would be killed. It says they feared the Lord more than Pharaoh. 
Saints, remember, God works all things for the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, verse three in the text. And it says, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered, verse four, Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. The text said Jehoshaphat feared. He was afraid in terror of what it looked like. Now, partly obviously because of the reality of you're in an impossible situation here. As a king, your kingdom is about to get overthrown. You're about to get thrown out of the promised land of where you were ordained. But also partly he may have been thinking he just got rebuked. And the Bible said the wrath of God is abiding on you for your disobedience. And so we really know what we fear when we're put to the test, right? That's when we really know what we really fear. And it was once told to me, you become like whatever you fear. You look back in the gospels and it said a lot of the Pharisees believed on him, but they were afraid. The religious leaders said they were afraid because of the, the religious leaders. And they backed up. They didn't confess Jesus, right? And then you see other texts where it says they feared the Lord and then they obeyed the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat is put to the test, rightfully so. For you note takers, Psalm 34, four says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Have you guys ever been afraid of something? I know you all have, don't lie. How did you respond? The scripture says that the fear of man brings a snare. Yet over 366 times, the scripture commands us, do not be afraid, do not fear. Do not be afraid of them. When we see re re repetition in the word of God, it means it's important. Also, he knows that we need daily, sometimes hourly reminders that God is in control. But saints, we can't both walk in faith and walk in fear, right? We, we have to choose which, one we're, which path we're gonna take. We have to choose which one we're gonna live in. But the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who believe in him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, right now we have, we're going on like a year now on, on the coronavirus, right? We've learned so much about it. It goes up and down and all that, right? We know it's real, but we know also our God is realer, right? We know that it, a lot of people have been affected by it. Some still struggling. I had it. We, our whole house went through it. Pastor Dave had it. Almost all the pastors had it. Um, and... We went through it, so I know what it's like, and I understand. But at the end of the day, the wages of sin is not COVID. The wages of death is not COVID. The wages of sin is death, right? And so what I mean by that is that when we elevate the fear of COVID or anything else over the fear of God, we're no longer walking in wisdom. Amen, saints? I know it's a hard one, but amen, right? The Bible, realistically, the scriptures would teach us that the, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. It's like a mighty lion. It chases all of the fears away. We don't need to fear anything if we fear God. Some of us, I've said this before, we've replaced the scripture with man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from CNBC or CNN or the local media or Dr. Fauci or whatever it may be. But the scripture said man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I know that's hard for some people and I'm not, I'm not downplaying it. I know people have died from the virus. If they were saved, they didn't die. They, they simply went home. They're, they simply graduated. They're sitting at the feet of Jesus. They're seeing him face to face. They have the fullness of joy, Psalm 1611 says. They're gonna be with him forevermore. No more death, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. Sign me up, 
right? Can't wait. But we have to look at things from an eternal perspective. Scripture says, again, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. I know you guys are tired of hearing that. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Yeah, look at Jehoshaphat's response. His fear did not lead him away, but it led him towards the Lord. It's okay to be afraid, but how does your fear guide you? Does it take us away from the Lord and from his promises? Or does it have us draw near unto him? Remember, God is a father. That's Papa, right? Anything that's going to cause us to go away from him is not of the Lord. Every response we have should be to draw near unto him. As the scripture says, draw near unto the Lord and he will draw near unto us. We can always tell what's inside of us when we're squeezed by the trial or the tribulation or the suffering. I remember it's been said that if you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. But when you squeeze a Christian, you should get Christ likeness. It reminds me of a time years ago, which was probably the hardest thing our family has ever, ever went through when my, my brother was murdered. Um, my wife and I were at Magic Mountain for all day and my phone was dead. So I was the last one, almost the last one to find out about it. So when I turned my phone on, I had like 50 missed calls, 100 text messages, 20 voicemails. And I wasn't able to even listen to them all until a few days later. But one of the voicemails was my mom was trying to get a hold of me and she couldn't get a hold of me. And I, and she, I think she thought she hung up, but she didn't. But I, for four minutes, the duration of my voicemail, what does they have? All I heard was scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. It did not stop over and over and over because she had stored the word of God in her heart. It was treasured there. And that when she was in deep despair, that's what comes out. When you're in deep despair, truly what's been stored in there is going to come out. Now, I'm not saying she didn't doubt. I'm not saying she wasn't hurt. She was... We were, it, it destroyed our whole family. We're, we're still dealing with it today. But we know that God is faithful and we know that God is true. But Christians, we know where we are when we get squeezed through the trial. And we have to remember, we know that nothing happens outside of his hands. And verse three says, he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. The scripture says the Lord tries the righteous, but the wicked he knows from afar off. And many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. When it says he set himself, that word means to consecrate, devote, dedicate, lay aside every sin and every weight and our own understanding. A lot of times when we go into difficult situations, we tend to lean on our own understanding or we tend to lean on our own experience. Experience could be a great teacher, but it's not always biblical. Just because I went through something doesn't make it right in in the way that God wanted us to do. When he says to seek, the word means to consult, to resort. It's used two times in the Hebrew, yet it's translated uh, uh, in different forms. It's a key word in Jehoshaphat's reign. The word has the basic sense of worship, but it also means to discover God's will. It reveals that Jehoshaphat's trust in the Lord, trusted in the Lord more than his military resources. When you guys read through the Kings and through the Chronicles and Samuel, you'll notice that a lot of the Kings, they relied on making allies with other nations so that when war came, that they had a lot of allies. That's why I said they weren't supposed to go down to Egypt and multiply horses. They weren't supposed to multiply silver and gold. They weren't supposed to multiply wise. Because one, if you went down and got chariot and horses, you weren't trusting in the Lord. As the scripture says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. 
See, God's politics is theocracy, right? God says we're governed by him. The word Israel literally means governed by God. And that's what they were supposed to be from the jump. But like most of us, we like what we see. I want a king like the rest of the nations. I want to be like them. Saints, we're supposed to be like Christ, not like anyone else. Amen? So it's easy for us to seek the Lord in the light, but to seek the Lord in the darkness is true faith. When I think about true darkness, I always think about Job. First, almost the whole chapter of the first half, the writer, which we believe is Job, mainly the Holy Spirit, spends time talking about the character of Job. This was a righteous man. He said he was blameless. He was upright, offering sacrifice just in case my kids might have sinned. I want to throw a little something in there for them. And then you see all of the calamity in one day happened to Job. True faith is not just seeking him in times of good, but also in times of darkness. Notice Jehoshaphat's first response was to get on Facebook. <laughs> no. What about Instagram? No, no, no. Not that either. His first response was to seek the Lord. And so what's our first response, saints? When we go through what we go through, it's been a t- last year was a tough year for a lot of us and it's still continuing. But what was our first response? You know, we're called to be first responders too, and it should be to the Lord, not to the person on the side, although godly counsel is important. But the first thing we should do is seek the Lord. Notice what he did was he sought the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout the land. Fasting kills the flesh, yet praying revives the spirit. On your outline, less of me and more of you, fasting and prayer. If you fast without prayer, that's just a diet. You guys know that, right? Okay. <laughs> fasting without prayer is, you lose some calories, I guess. But fasting without prayer is pointless, <laughs> spiritually. We never see an example of scriptures as them proclaiming a fast without also praying and seeking the Lord. See, we see that Jehoshaphat set the example by his own personal devotion. This is the example of a godly leader. He first sought the Lord for himself and then led the people of God in seeking the Lord. Godly men and leaders of our home, we need to lead by example and seek the Lord's face. It starts with us. Men, it starts with us. Often when we counsel couples and the man says, I'm leading, she needs to follow my lead. She needs to do what I say. When I say jump, she needs to say how high, right? I often ask them, how often are you guys praying together? How often do you guys read the word together? And he said, no, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to do that yet. So can I ask you, how are you leading by example? What example are you setting? Crickets. But, but, uh, but, but I don't find anywhere in here. None of that's in here. But oftentimes, we want the benefits of seeking the Lord, but we don't want the suffering that comes from it. We don't want the testing that we go through, right? It can be observed that this was a reoccurring theme in 2 Chronicles. There was great favor and protection when both the leaders of the people of God set themselves to seek the Lord's face, the leaders and the people. For you note taker, 2 Chronicles eleven six, the faithful remnant of Israel. 2 Chronicles 14, 4, the people of Judah under King Asa, which is Jehoshaphat's father. 2 Chronicles 19, 3, early on in Jehoshaphat's reign. And then of course, both King Hezekiah and King Josiah. The Lord Jesus explained in Mark 9, 28 through 29, that both prayer and fasting together were, was a significant source of spiritual power. 
Again, fasting kills our, our flesh and prayer revives our spirit. Both together draw us near our Savior. It's not easy to deny ourselves. But if you guys realize when we try to do things on our own strength, we often fail and fail miserably, by the way. Isaiah 58 and 6 says this, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you would break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring your house, the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. See, saints, fasting should result in righteousness. Fasting and praying should result in us looking more like our Savior. Jehoshaphat proclaimed that fast, not just for him, but for the whole community, which shows us, one, that God has created us for community. I tell people Christianity is not for the lone Eskimo in Alaska, right? It's not, it's not for you to be separated. In fact, that's one of Satan's main tactics is to isolate you, right? He used, he used COVID as one of those things. Studies show that a lot of the people that left church and stayed gone, about after four months, they stopped watching live streams. So if you're still watching, you beat the study, praise the Lord. And they say about four months, they stopped watching and then most of them will not ever come back to church. The isolation, people get comfortable at home, kick their feet up, don't wake up on time, right? They don't get up and stand up for worship. It gets too comfortable, they get too complacent, right? So I always like to tell people, hey, I get the concern when, we, when, you know, when we're not coming, but at least pray and ask the Lord what requirements for when you come back. Is it when there's a herd immunity? Is it when everyone gets the vaccine? Whatever it may be, because what Satan will do is he'll deceive you into saying, just not right now. Well, when? Just not right now. Later, but just not right now, right? Because we know God's a God of order. And we know if we seek the Lord and ask, he will give us the answers. But we're created, created for a community, for fellowship. That's why we don't forsake it. See, saints, a godly leader will lead by example, He's not only responsible for himself, but the people that he leads. Therefore, he is leading the people and seeking the Lord, not seeking himself. We know the greatest example is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I always do what the Father asked me to, to please him. Jesus also said, there's no servant greater than his master. Therefore, we are called to take the master's lead, but we don't seek to take the master's seat. Does that make sense? There's no servant greater than the master. So if we're trying to make a name for ourselves and the scripture said there's only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and that there's only one name that every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. And that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told Peter and James, wait and pray unless you enter into a temptation. It's been said that if we don't abide in prayer, then we abide in temptation. They say it's a, prayerless soul is a Christless soul, right? Prayer is the foundation of our devotion with the Lord. On your outline, it says, draw near to the Lord and other believers were to dwell in unity. A people are only as good as their leader. Attitude reflects leadership. I know you guys have all heard and seen about Ravi Zacharias. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking. But again, that's why we don't follow man, right? That's why we seek the Lord. The reports came out and Robbie turned out to be a sexual predator. Absolutely ungodly. And many people in the Christian faith are going to walk away 
because he had a big, he, God used him as an instrument to bring many people to the Lord. He's been instrumental in a lot of people in this room and in our church's walk. But I want to encourage you guys. That's every single one of us if it wasn't for the grace of God. That could be any one of us. That's why Paul gives the strong exhortation in 1 Corinthians 10, therefore him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Scripture would eventually teach us that no man falls publicly who hasn't fell privately first. Saints, what we are privately will eventually manifest to what we are publicly. That's why we need accountability. That's why we need to be rooted in fellowship. What kind of witness are we leading for the Lord? Maybe one that cannot be ill-spoken of, but praised and honored. Verse four says, Judah, so Judah gathered together to ask for help from the Lord. And from the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. That phrase, gather together, reminds we're only one body. Many members in the body of Christ. God is pleased and honored with unity. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There was unity because of King Jehoshaphat's leadership. He was devoted to the Lord. In his response to terror of what was coming, he and all the house of Judah came to ask for help. This is a prayer that God will always honor. Lord, please help me. The problem is we have not because we ask not. I'll be honest, for us, man, that's hard for us. I don't need no help. I got this, right? Even some of the women, now we good. I know you there. I'll I'll call you when I need you, right? Some of us think spiritual maturity is depending on God less. But spiritual maturity is depending on God more. It's growing more and more in dependence, reliance, and trust in the Lord. We should never, ever, ever be ashamed to ask God for help. Sometimes it can be hard, and sometimes we don't even think about it. Psalm 121, 1 through 2 says, I will look to the hills from where my help comes from. If God be for me, who can be against me? We're supposed to be strong, the culture would tell us, right? Asking for help is a sign of weakness. But saints, essentially, the ask for help is at the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we ask for help because the law backs, up, backs us up into a corner. And we find out that through that law, we see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What are you going to do? You can't save yourself because you can't keep that perfect law. See, Jesus doesn't have a standard of your neighbor. So you can't look at your neighbor. Well, I'm a little bit better than him. So God's got to let me in. It doesn't work like that. See, that's what all the false religions would teach you. If you didn't do enough, well, how much is enough? More than your neighbor, right? <laughs> More than the one over there. Why don't you go to the jails and the prisons? Look at somebody there, make an example, you're good. Go ahead and go in. No, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says you can't do it. The gospel says you can try and try and try again and where flesh abounds, sin abounds that much more. And we all walk in the flesh, unfortunately, many times. But the gospel says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who come and ask for help and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, be merciful to me. That is the heart of the gospel. See, Jehoshaphat had already prepared his heart to seek the Lord. And now as his faith is tested, his true heart comes out. Psalm 27 and 8, one of my favorites. Well, I like them all, but right now I'm reading it, so that's my favorite. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. What a great response. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, my God. 
So review point one in fighting our battles. Set yourself to seek the Lord. Less of me and more of you. Fasting and praying is good. We've got, I think a lot of us have gotten away from that. Some of us have never even fasted before. I just want to encourage you. Jesus didn't say if you fast, but when you fast, right? And so I want to encourage you guys. Also draw near to the Lord and other believers. We need to be in fellowship, saints. Those of you online, we, we hope you come back. We hope, you, we hope gain you, right? But the, the, the body of the church in Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. That is the heart of the church, right? And the worst thing that can happen to us from anything is that we graduate and go to heaven, right? So what, Paul said, I'm, I'm actually stuck between the two. I don't know which one. Like, depart, be with the Lord, uh, be here with you. But, but depart with the Lord, he said, it's far better. And the Bible says, blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage. I can't wait till I get there. Amen? So point number two, keep your eyes on Jesus. And how the Lord ministered to me, if Jesus is the apple of your eyes, Satan won't be the deceiver of your heart. Saints, guard your eyes. Verse five. And it says in the text, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might that no one is able to withstand you? On the outline, we're looking at the character of God. The Lord is sovereign. There is no other Jehoshaphat, first and foremost in his prayers, he stands in the assembly. First and foremost, he acknowledges the exclusivity and the sovereignty of Almighty God. He said, there is no other. You are the God of the heavens, and there is no other. See, saints, there's all this hoopla about all the other religions. Well, people should be able to believe what they want to believe, and I believe this truth, and you can believe that truth. And that's fine, but that doesn't mean it's true. Amen? And so I always encourage people, I try to be as kind as I can, and encourage them and let them know there's only one true God. All of them contradict one another. There's only one true God who's been proven all from all eternity, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And saints, for us to have that truth and not share it is not loving. Amen? If we believe in that truth, remember I talked about belief and behavior, right? Those two can't be divorced from one another. If I believe that truth, my life will reflect that. If I believe that truth, I'm not going to have any problem sharing it with someone and sharing it with boldness. He says, you rule over the kingdoms of the nations. You are sovereign. You're undefeated. You're all powerful. Psalm 115.3 for you note takers. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. I don't know any other God that does that. Isaiah 43.13, it says, indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it? I remember King uh, Sennacherib in Isaiah. He told, he told all the people of Israel, like, nobody can deliver from my hands. I'm the mighty God. Look, and they all tried and all that, right? And Hezekiah came in there to the house of the Lord and laid out that complaint and he prayed. And then one angel slayed 185,000 Assyrians. That's our God. Amen. There's no God that can deliver from his hand, not King Snackerib. How do you like them apples, right? Amen. Psalm 62, 11 says, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Yahweh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, Isaiah 43 and 10, I love this one. It says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, 
and my servant who I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me no God was formed nor shall there be after me I even I am the Lord and aside from me there is no savior see the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons and all the other ones talk about being more gods and all these other pantheon of gods and whatnot and when I hit them with this verse they, they they're stuck right well, well, that's your interpretation. I just read it. I didn't interpret it, right? Before me, no God was formed. Neither will there be after me. I think that's closed case, right? What does the scripture say? What does the Lord say? There's only one God. Looking at his character. This is how when, when King David was just a little shepherd boy, right? The whole armies of Israel were petrified of Goliath, shaking in their armor. And for 40 days, he tormented Israel. And then you get the shepherd boy who has a mighty faith in God from his devotion to the Lord, tending to the sheep, who was delivered out of the mouth of lions and bears, right? He comes and he doesn't see Goliath as this big giant, right? He looks at him and he sees his, he looks at God and sees God as a big, mighty God. And that's why he was able to say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? only because he saw God for who he truly was. Saints, what we believe about the Lord Jesus is the most important thing about us. How we see him essentially dictates how we see everybody else. We need to look at everything through a biblical worldview. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He says, I believe in God like I believe in the sun. Not because I can see the sun, but by the sun, I can see everything else. All right? That's where it starts. We need to look at the character of God. Scripture says he's not a man that he should lie. He says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, the sons of Jacob were not consumed. And then in Hebrews, he says, the Lord Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Saints, men change, women change, government changes, policies change, but the Lord does not change. And I thank God for that. Reminds me of this story between a little dialogue between a father and a son. The, the son asks, what is the size of God? He asked his father. Then the father looked up to the sky and seeing an airplane, he asked his son, well, what is the size of the airplane? The boy answered and said, eh, kind of small. I can barely see it. So the father took him to the airport. And as he approached the airline, he asked, now, what is the size of this one? The boy answered, wow, daddy, it's huge. And the father told him, like this is God. His size depends on how distant you are from him. Therefore, the closer you are to him, the greater he will be in your life. The scripture says, draw near unto him and he will draw near unto you. Amen? Amen. How near are we to the Lord? What role does he play in your life? Is he a big, mighty savior or is he just comparable to your circumstances and a little bit mightier than that? Again, how you see him will dictate how you see everything else. King Jehoshaphat recites the word of God. He's essentially praising God, ascribing greatness to him. He has magnified his word above all his name, Psalm 138 says. His promises are yes and in him, amen. And he's not a man that he should lie. He stays the same and he does not change. Jehoshaphat first and foremost acknowledges the sovereignty of God. That is a biblical doctrine. When we turn our focus from our circumstances to the character of the true risen and living savior, we then in turn elevate our Lord to his proper place on his throne, thus casting down our circumstance to its proper place. 
where we can actually see, feel, and understand a momentary light affliction as the Lord's chiseling tool to conformity of the Lord Jesus Christ, as an event of glory, and as it builds our godly character in us. This is why Romans 5 says, therefore we glory in tribulations. We get happy at bad times? Yes, because of what it produces. Said it produces perseverance, aka patience. Who needs patience? If your hand's not up, I feel like you're lying. Be honest, we're in the house of God, right? Many people don't want to say, never pray for patience. Don't ever pray for patience. Don't ever pray for patience. I understand, but we need patience, right? Because it's the character of our Lord. The Bible says our Lord is long-suffering. But we glory in that. We count it all joy when we fall into various trials and temptings, right? For what it does. On the outline D, verse seven through nine, his past faithfulness ensures that he will be faithful again. Verse seven in the text with your Bibles. It says, as he continues his prayer, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever, and they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it, your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, will we stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in your affliction and you will hear and save. As Jehoshaphat now leads the assembly in prayer, he starts off with our God. It's personal. And he goes into the character of God. Now he goes into God's past faithfulness. But is Jesus your God? Is it personal? You cannot know God through somebody else. You cannot know God through religion. You cannot know God through rituals and regulations. You can only know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Jesus made it very clear and easy. He didn't give you a multitude of ways. In fact, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, that means no one, gets to the Father but by me. He said, Philip, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. No, they're not the same person, but they are the same being. Amen? In the same way, we cannot know God through anyone else. As our, or Jesus through our personal Lord and Savior, unless we know the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord our God, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I love the example that Jehoshaphat sets, but we remember, Jehoshaphat was raised in a godly home. The foundation has been laid and the foundation has stayed. He not only learned from scripture, but he learned from the example of his father, Esau. In 2 Chronicles 14, 11, he prayed a very similar prayer when he was in distress. For you note takers, 2 Chronicles 14, 11, it says, and Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord God, for we rest on you. And in your name, we go against this multitude. You are God. Do not let man prevail against you. He recognizes God's past faithfulness in his prayer by highlighting what God has done in the past. He says, you cast out them before. I know you can do it again. God is faithful to his promises. Very similar prayer to King Solomon at the dedication of the temple, 2 Chronicles and in 1 Kings. I learned very, very young as a boy. My grandma taught me how to pray like four years old. I thank God for that. I was raised in a home where Prayer was, was a high priority. We prayed before we ate. We prayed before we left the house. Uh, we prayed when we were in times of despair. We praised God 
through all things. So for me, I learned as a very young boy that that was very important. So did Jehoshaphat. And it ended up turning into a godly leader. Parents, our kids are always watching us. Those of you who have children, your, your children are always watching you. What kind of example are you setting? Do you, the times that you were behind the scenes, you want to be a godly leader in your home because that's where it starts. That's where the foundation is laid. If it's said a foundation laid is a foundation stayed. And that if we train our children up in the way they should go when they grow old, they should not depart from it. Yes, they have free will, but don't let it be your neglect of making God's word the standard in your home. Amen? Amen. Whenever we're in doubt about the ability of the Lord to deliver us, provide for us, fix our marriages, protect our children, help us prosper in the workplace, lead us, guide us, we can always, always, always look to his past faithfulness in our own lives and the lives of others. See, saints, it always baffles me that we continually trust in our flesh and ourselves and it constantly lets us down. But then we struggle sometimes to trust in the Lord and he's given us no reason to, amen? He's given us no reason to doubt. He's given us no reason not to obey him. He's given us no reason to think that he can't do what he said he's gonna do. But yet we trust in ourselves and people and then we struggle to trust in the almighty God and savior. Oh, we need help, amen? 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Remember, we learn to trust the Lord in our wilderness experience. All of us have that, okay? When the Israelites were delivered by a mighty hand of God in the wilderness, they had to learn how to trust God. They went from being in Egypt. Now they were in bondage, but they knew and expected what was gonna happen. They knew they're gonna have their quail, their cucumbers, all that stuff. They knew they're gonna get that along with the beatings, which they forgot about once they left, right? Took them out of Exodus, but couldn't take, uh, took them out of Egypt, but couldn't take Egypt out of them for a lot of them. But I remember for me, when I went off to college, um, I, went, I did two years at a junior college and I went off to a university in South Dakota where I met my wife, praise the Lord, amen. That was the best thing that happened. Um, my, within 14 months, I had two heat strokes. While I was in the hospital with pneumonia, my apartment burned down. And while I had my second heat stroke, my other apartment flooded in 14 months. When I had my first heat stroke and I went to the hospital, they prematurely released me and I was already back in football meetings. I was ready to get at it again. Young 19 year old, fresh, right? And the sheriff's department kicked through the doors like, hey, Joshua Camper here. And everybody's looking at me like, what'd you do? What's going on, right? What he said was, we need to get you back to the hospital. We prematurely released you. If you would have went to sleep tonight, you would have died, right? And I was like, oh, that was a big problem for you guys. But I had to be tested. That was the first time being away from my family, being away. I had no one out there. Young 19-year-old from Southern California in a very hot and a very cold place, depending on what season you're in, right? But I had to learn how to trust God because at that point, I really didn't have my own faith. I had grandma's faith, right? I was under that faith and I had to come and learn my banner. Well, I learned that through the wilderness, right? I learned by going through those that God is exactly who he says he is and we can trust him, amen? See, the tests, if there's no test, there could be no testimony, See, the Lord allows us to go through trials so we can grow through them and therefore bear much fruit, right? See, a fruitless Christian is often a fruitful devil, amen? If you're not doing one, you're probably doing the other. If you're not bearing fruit for Christ, then you're probably laying eggs for Satan. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's one side or the other, right? Because remember, Satan, he's okay with the compromise allegiance. God is not. 
He said, if you're not for me, you're against me, right? He doesn't gather with me, scatters abroad, right? Satan's cool with the compromise allegiance. He just wants a little bit of what you don't give to the Lord, right? So these trials are to help us bear fruit, but God is in control. Amen? Verses 8 and 9 says, for your name is in this temple. You guys know the Old Testament? His name was in the temple. It represented where God would dwell, right? And then we see the New Testament. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word in Greek means tabernacled amongst us in the flesh. And so we have to understand now we are the temple of God. The Lord dwells inside of us. This is why Apostle Paul was able to say, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he would later say in 2 Corinthians 5 is that I now live for the one who died for me and rose again. I no longer live for myself. And so we are the temple of God. I will dwell in you. I will be in you. You will be my people and he will be our God. Amen. Verse 10, third point, rather speed it up. When we are weak, he is strong. I love these verses. Verse 10, in the text, the Bible, the scriptures. And now there are the people from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who you would not let invade when, we, when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. There, here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love this. Jehoshaphat now continues in his prayer, reciting the fact of the grace shown to those who are now attacking them. He says, we could have destroyed them, but you told us not to. You had mercy on them. He's speaking of Deuteronomy uh, 2, 8 and 9. As they passed in the wilderness of Moab, the Lord said, don't harass them nor contend in battle for the Lord will not give Israel any of their land. And imagine being in a state of utter helplessness. This is at a point now where they don't have the army to battle against the ones that are coming against them. This is an impossible situation. This is a cul-de-sac that Moses was stuck in before the Red Sea split. When all the people were like, Moses, you done brought us out here to die. What are you doing? And they lost faith because they couldn't see a means to the end. And all of us have been in impossible situations before. All of us have been in situations that we felt we couldn't be delivered from, where it seemed like no matter what we do, the situation just got worse and worse. Well, this is Jehoshaphat right now. He's up against an impossibility. See, the scriptures did not say that no weapon will be formed. It just said it would not prosper. The scripture says a weapon, no weapon formed against us will prosper. I love Psalm 123, one and two, it says, unto you I lift my eyes. O you who dwell in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of a servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Who are we focused on? Where are our eyes? Where are our affections? This verse 12, this phrase nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's one of the most touching expressions of trust in the Lord to be found in all of scripture. It is complete surrender to the sovereign hand of the Lord and saints, this needs to be us. You look at Jesus in Gethsemane. Lord, is there any way that this cup can pass? 
He was getting ready to swallow all the full wrath of God of sin from the beginning of time to the end. The heaviest burden that anyone can ever bear. And he looked to his father in prayer. The Hebrews would say that he cried out in godly fear. And he looked to his father in prayer and he said, Lord, if there's any way that this cup, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass, let it. But nonetheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Oftentimes, the Lord will allow us to be in impossible situations so that we will solely rely and look to him. This pandemic, our government, division in the churches, marriages, families, children going array, family turmoil, suicide rate is up, depression rate is up, domestic violence is up, drug usage is up. The world is in an utter state of hopelessness. Yet the answer has and always will be the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. There is no other way. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that while there's all this darkness, we are light in a very dark place. We are light because of light that's been put in us through the Holy Spirit. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Right now we're in dark turmoil. People are trying to move out of California in droves, right? We need, those of you, we're, there needs to be light here. You remove all the street light from a street, the street is full of darkness, right? I wanna encourage you guys, be that light. Be that light. Okay, uh, on to point number three, but a review of point number two. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. If Jesus is the apple of your eyes, Satan won't be the deceiver of your heart. The Lord is sovereign. His past faithfulness ensures us that he'll be faithful again. And of course, when we are weak, then we are strong. You guys know 2 Corinthians uh, 12, the apostle Paul, when he had a thorn in his side, right? And he prayed three times. Lord, let this thorn pass from me. Let this thorn pass from me. Many argue what the thorn was. I don't know, all right? Many speculations. Don't think it matters realistically. But it, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient that my strength is made perfect in human weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I boasted all my affirmities. I boast in all my shortcomings. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me because then when I'm weak, then I am strong because of Christ. Amen? And point number three, last point, praise him in advance. Praise him in advance. Verse 13 in the text, in the Bible, scriptures. Now, all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of the great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God. I love this. So now they're all gathered in the assembly and the Lord sends an answer through Jehaziel. And he answered him and he tells him, do not be afraid. The Lord has a message for you. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. And look at us in the spiritual battle that we have. Saints, we have our spiritual armor, right? Helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith for the fiery darts, the belt of truth, the sword, the word right here, and the sandals of the gospel. We have the armor 
But essentially, we cannot fight any spiritual battle apart from the Lord. Amen? And we fight our battles, again, by seeking the Lord, seeking his face through prayer, fasting, meditating on the word of God. The word of God makes us strong, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he tells them the battle is the Lord's. It reminds me of Gideon. You guys remember Gideon? He had thousands of people in the army, but he said he was going against a number of the sand of the sea, right? And then God does something that seems pretty, doesn't help the situation. He says, uh, you got too many people. Uh, you might try to take the glory. So I need you to go down. And he ended up eliminating thousands of people to 300, right? He said, yeah, I think that's good enough, right? And then the impossible happened. He overcame. The Lord gave the answer because he is faithful, in what he is, amen? He is faithful. Jehoshaphat now gets answer to his prayer. Does God always answer prayer? Oh, it was a little weak sauce. Does God always answer prayer? Yeah. Yes. Not always what you want to hear, <laughs> but always what you need to hear. It's either yes, no, or not right now, right? And if it's no, you'll find out later why, okay? If it's not right now, you'll find out later why, okay? And if it's yes, then praise the Lord either way. But the prayer is answered. He says, first, do not fear. Again, I know you guys have heard of fear, probably stop talking about fear. The Bible talks about it a lot. If you don't want to hear me say it, read your Bible, then God will say it. But either way, you're going to hear it. Do not fear, okay? Fear is a tactic of the enemy to enslave us to circumstances. It was fear that many of the Jews did not believe in the Lord. It was fear that enslaved the 11 disciples not to come out on the boat with Jesus, only Peter. The fear of man brings a snare, but God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. You guys better memorize that verse, wherever it is. 2 Timothy, I believe, 1-7. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So he tells them, do not fear. In verse 16, he says, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jehuril. 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the found, see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear. I didn't say it, I read it. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So Jeho Jehoshaphat is told they will not need to fight, but they still need to show up. All right? Faith without works is dead. Many people say, I believe in God, yeah, you know, I'm going to go get a job, and I'm going to sit in my house all day, watch TV, watch Netflix, right? God says, go get me a job. Hey, you going to do it. It's faith right here. There's faith in his finest. Click, click. No job because you're not moving, right? God will do the supernatural when we're faithful with the practical, right? If you're supposed to go get a job, you need to apply for them, all right? If you want to fix your marriage, you need to pray, right? God's not just going to come down from above and do what you're too lazy to do. You know, Proverbs says the door turns on the hinges, so a lazy man turns his bed. Get up, all right? Amen? So he says, you, you don't need to fight, but you still need to show up. Faith without works is dead. We know. In verse 17, he says, you just need to be still and see the salvation of the Lord. For you know, take her, Psalm 46 and 10. says, be still and know that I am God. You guys should know this verse, amen? If you don't, know it today. Be still and know it. Be honest, how hard is it to be still? Let's be real, right? You know why? Because we want to control everything. Let's just be real. We want to control everything. Because when we control things, we feel good. You know, I'm in power. I can handle this, right? But the bottom line is you're not always in control. 
Okay? Control what you can and what you can't give to the Lord. Okay? But a lot of us, we have a lot of unnecessary anxiety because we want to just control every little aspect. Parents, we can't control our kids all the time, right? Certain aspects we can't control. The Bible doesn't say control your kids up in the way of the Lord. It says train your kids up in the way of the Lord, right? The Bible doesn't tell us to um, control our wives unto the Lord, but to love our wives unto the Lord, right? So that whole control factor, again, is a tactic of Satan. Only the enemy rules by force. So we can't force people to do things. We are in a position of influence and impact, but we're not in a position of control. He's the one in control, right? Isn't that a tactic of Satan? I will be like the most high. I want to do this. I want to do that. Satan's a deceiver and a liar and a murderer, okay? Not your amigo. Don't hang. Don't chill. Don't talk to him, right? Amen? The battle is the Lord's. Saints, we are ill-equipped to fight the spiritual battle on our own. We are committed to put on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. Ultimately, it's the Lord that fights for us. I mentioned Moses before, pinned up against the cul-de-sac, and he prayed, and in Exodus 14, 14, he says, the Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. Pray to be still. Oftentimes when we move in impulsivity, it ends up turning out to be chaos. We need, we need to be quick to pray. Scripture says be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. <clears throat> Nobody struggles with that, right? <clears throat> slow to anger because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Saints, he brings us a great deal of peace to rest on the promises of the Lord. Some of the promises, he shall never leave us nor forsake us. He will fight our battles. Our names are written in the land's book of life. We're citizens of heaven. We've been chosen, adopted, accepted, and the beloved, redeemed, forgiven, given an inheritance, sealed by the Holy Spirit. What a great, mighty, and awesome God we serve. Amen? The text said, see the salvation of the Lord. Again, the gospel in full force. We are delivered from the bondage of sin like they were delivered out of the house of Egypt, all right? The Lord ultimately is the one who does it. Jesus lived a perfect and righteous life, but died as if he lived our wicked life. They call it the great exchange. First Peter says the just for the unjust to bring us to God, right? Jesus is the only one who can save. We see this picture all throughout scripture, I like to call the Bible one big hymn book. It's all about him, right? Amen? Old Testament says he's coming. The gospel says he's arrived. Acts, he's proclaimed. The epistles, he's explained. And revelations say he's coming back. Are you ready? Amen? Praise the Lord. 18, 19, we'll finish up here. Woo! Hold on, let me get a, a quick intermission. In the text, 18 and 19. Worship is the appropriate response to the promises of God. 1890 says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God with voices loud and high. Now, what I love about this is the battle hasn't even been fought yet. But their response is to praise and worship God based off the promise of his word. Now, someone's word, now that whole phrase, uh, a man of your word, that came from the Bible, by the way, all right? Because God's a man of his word, came from the scriptures. God's word means nothing if it didn't correlate with his character, all right? The things that we don't understand in scripture, we can bank on them because of who God is, amen? 
We can rely on his word because we can rely on his character. Does that make sense? So Jehoshaphat and the people, this thing was trying to run away from me. Hold on. All right. Can you hear me? Amen. So Jehoshaphat heard the word, and before it happened, his response, both him and the people, was to bow down and worship. As children of God, this is the very purpose we were created for, to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And saints, guess what? As you guys have realized, we're created to worship, but if you don't worship God, you're going to worship something else, right? And then you're going to be dissatisfied, and you're going to keep trying to find other things to satisfy uh, the only thing that Jesus the Lord can satisfy because you were created to worship and enjoy him. And when you neglect that, you're, del- you're, you're degraded to something lesser. You don't get the full force. And then you spend your whole life like a dog chasing its tail, never getting it, never catching it. And all along, I, love, I tell the youth group this example, all along, God continues, I look at his one big romance story, God continues to send us flower cards and candy, flowers in creation. You look at creation, it's one of the greatest impressions that God has left on us, that he loves us. Tailor-made for human life, everything here. Fine-tuned universe for human living, right? And he sends us cards through what? The word of God, the text. We see all throughout here God's redemptive plan for us to be reconciled to him. And of course, the candy is our conscience, saints, tells us right from wrong. That's the spirit of God. But eventually what happens is just like your fifth grade crush, when you continue to send notes and all types of things, and she said she doesn't like you, or he said she didn't like you, because you like them, you leave them alone, right? You say, okay, you don't want no part of me, so I'm going to leave you alone. Well, eventually, saints, God is a gentleman, and he's not going to continue to press his love upon you, and he's never going to force himself upon you, but he's going to continue to love on you until you see the truth of that you, you were created for him. And which all of us will do better with him. Our life has no purpose until we have him. Does that make sense, saints? Amen. I often walk around in my car driving saying, thank you, Lord. You were so good. I don't deserve your mercy. See, I love the fact about prayer and praise. We can do it anywhere, anytime, any place, no matter what anybody says. Amen to that? And you should never be ashamed to give the Lord praise, but ask yourself, saints, when was the last time that we just shouted to the Lord and praised him just for who he is? When was the last time that we just prayed and didn't ask him for anything, didn't make any request, but just said, Lord, I love you and I praise you for everything that you've done? See, the saints, the proper response to the word and promises of God and who he is, is worship and praise. And praise, you're just declaring value. You're ascribing honor and worship to the Lord. This is what has happened. Saints, our lifestyle should be one of worship, offering our lives, living sacrifices and praying, praising God in both the good and the bad. So ending it there, last point was praise him in advance for we know he is faithful and true. And saints, I want to give an opportunity now for anyone in here who may not know the Lord. You know, the scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. We're constantly thinking about the day of our death. What's going to happen afterwards? Where am I going to go? That is the uncertainty that plagues every non-believer, Hebrews 2 says, that it is, we're in bondage to the fear of death all our lives until we come to the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. But you know what Jesus says? Come to me. All of you are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. He says, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father and the holy angels. Now, he doesn't force his love on anyone. He gives an open invitation to every individual. 
And it's been said that there's two types of people. Those who in this life say, Lord, thy will be done. And those in the next life who God says to them, thy will be done. God's will that none shall perish. No, not one. But all need to choose to offer and receive the free gift. Lastly, Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, he said, you will be saved, ended, complete. And you can know that you know that you know that you're part of the family of God, that you have been chosen and accepted and adopted, and that you will spend forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. As John 17, three said, this is eternal life, that we may know him, the one true God and his son whom he has sent. So is there anyone in here now or anyone watching this is your opportunity. If you won't confess them here, you won't confess them out there. If you won't confess them in a place of believers, you're not going to confess them in an evil, wicked world. So here's your opportunity. Is there anyone in here now? Don't be ashamed. You're not promised tomorrow. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow, right? Death is the king of terrors, but the Lord Jesus is the king of kings and ultimately has the keys to death in the grave. Come now. Those online, for those who watch it later, we're going to end it in prayer. Bow our heads. Father, we thank you and we love you. And Lord, we thank you that you are the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. And there's no one who can save like you. And there is no God in heaven above nor on earth below beside you. And that's why we worship you and praise you. We thank you, Lord, for a great salvation. That Lord, while we were sinners, you died for us. Lord, your word says that scarcely for a righteous man will one die, for a good man would even one dare to die but you have demonstrated your love towards us and that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And Lord, if we had a 10 million tongues, we couldn't praise you enough. And Lord, I pray for anybody who watches later that has accepted you, that has called upon your name, that they would continue in the faith. Jesus says, if you continue my word, you're my disciples indeed. And Lord, we know we can do none of this apart from your Holy Spirit. Lord, you said, abide in me and I in you, and therefore you will bear much fruit for apart from me, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we give you all the glory. We lift your name on high, Lord Jesus. And we pray that we will become less and you will become more. And Lord, as we leave this place and you send us out in our mission field, Lord, we pray that we would have courage and boldness to proclaim the truth of the gospel without fear. And Lord, we long for the day when we're with you again. We long for the day when we see you face to face and we'll be fully known for we see dimly through a jar, but then we will see clearly. We love you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray and the saints said, amen. Let's stand up and worship.